What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 66 of the Triage Method podcast. Paddy, how are you this week? As per usual, Gary, I am absolutely fantastic. I'm delighted to hear it. That's all I've got. So why are we here? Why are we here? What are we talking about? What's the crack? Uh, you, you said you wanted to talk about some nutrition stuff or something. I, I'm not quite sure. Yes, we're going to be talking a little bit about nutrition and in particular, what we're going to be talking about is why diets fail, okay? Because, you know, you'll, you'll hear things like uh, on social media, like uh, 95% of diets fail, which is sort of just a made-up statistic that isn't actually true if you look into the research. Um, but anyway, in, in, like, there's, there's a general acceptance that dieting isn't exactly easy, okay? It's simple, but it's not easy. So it's a simple thing that we all kind of understand in that, you have to eat less and try and find a way to sustain that over time. Like everyone kind of knows that. However, like that's much easier said than done. So in particular, what we want, what we want to discuss today is like why diets fail and that like some of the things that go on when you begin to, you know, start a diet, what changes between when you start and the point at which you quote unquote fail, like whether that is, you know, you start eating more or you just give up totally and go back to your old ways or whatever. Uh, but also like, when that happens, you know, and, and, and what, what brings you to that point? Because a lot of people do get to that point where they're just like, oh, I'm in a calorie deficit. I'm doing everything right, but I'm just not losing fat. So that's where we want to start. We want to start addressing some of those concerns today. And Patty's going to talk you through it now while I get my uh, laptop charger. Disgraceful. Not even prepared <laughs> for this, like, one thing. You need to have a fully charged laptop for an hour, <laughs> and you can't even have it, have it correct. It's actually no, it's good. I'm good. <clears throat> but yeah, like you, like you said, uh, the, the concept itself of dieting is very straightforward. You need to be in negative balance, meaning you need to have a deficit of energy so that your body then goes, okay, we don't have energy coming in. We're still expending this amount of energy. So that difference needs to be made up from somewhere. And that will come from your fat stores because essentially energy or sorry, fat is stored energy, right? And that's the case with the fat that you eat. It is literally stored energy. Um, and it is the case with the fat on your body, right? So the concept itself, really straightforward. You eat less or you move more or some combination of the two and you induce a, a negative energy balance. And as a result, you lose weight. Okay. Ideally, you lose just fat um, and no muscle. Um, maybe that's something we'll talk about or touch on at least uh, later on. Um, but that, that's, that, that's the concept. Straightforward enough. Like it's a, the classic calories in, calories out, right? The, the SECO model. Right? So very straightforward. If you want to propose a different model of fat loss, of weight regulation, whatever else you then have to come up with uh, a different system of physics for this universe right that's that's the only way you can argue with that concept right however that does not mean that that is the whole story right and that's what kind of gets missed in this whole argument that oh it's just calories in and just calories out and like that's 100 percent correct right like uh, when you bring it down to its most fundamental level. That's all that's happening. 
like any diet that is successful, any training program that's successful in terms of fat loss, weight loss, that's what's occurring. You are in a deficit of energy, right? There's no, no secret magic, no nothing, whatever. Now, the fact remains that that is not all that goes into making a successful diet phase, a successful dieting phase, because like everyone always goes like, oh, I'm on a diet. Like everyone's on a diet unless you don't eat. Like your diet is just the food that you eat, right? So like I like to just call it like what we're actually, like the, the focus of the diet. So it might be like a, a weight loss phase, a, a fat loss phase, uh, a weight gain phase or a muscle gain phase. Like I actually like to name it what the actual goal is rather than just calling it a diet because like there's a lot of negative connotations when someone says diet you know and also it's kind of like this is just semantics or whatever but like it's kind of incorrect (laughs) um but there is a lot of extra stuff that goes on that can potentially not be accounted for in terms of your thought process around the diet and as a result that can be where you succeed or fail and what i mean by that is there's there's essentially two areas that we need to take into account first of all it's the the physiology right and that's something that we're obviously going to touch on now in a second but also the psychology right because like i said like already if you're coming into this and you're using words like diet and you have a negative connotation around as that word diet like that's already setting yourself up for this negative experience right? And also you have to factor in the psychology of like, what foods do you enjoy? How do you enjoy actually eating? Like, are you a, a stress eater? You know, are you uh, someone that has a lot of cravings? Like what's your overall relationship with food like, you know, like what's your history with food like? Because obviously if you're coming to this from a quote unquote normal background, you maybe played sports all your life and you're just like maybe 10 pounds, 15 pounds overweight. And you're kind of like, yeah, I wouldn't mind like toning up just a little bit. Um, that experience is going to be totally different from someone that has been 50 plus pounds overweight their entire life. And it's also going to be a totally different experience than someone who's coming from this, from having like an, an eating disorder, like bulimia or anorexia or something like that. So your psychology coming into this, your relationship with food, with exercise as a whole has to be factored in. And those are the two areas that need to somewhat be addressed when we talk about why diets fail. And that's kind of the whole topic that we're talking about today. And, and, and those are the two things that we're going to address now. So Gary, what are your thoughts coming into this? We're going to address the psychology first or the, the physiology? What do you think? Yeah, I suppose like just to, just to bring up some of the physiology because I think it's important because the, the pushback that you will get, Patty, if you make this argument about calories in, calories out, are things like, oh, but, you know, hormones, you know, j- just but, hom- but hormones, you know. And the thing what is, hormones? we like kind of... Mass hormones. Them ass hormones. <laughs> but the thing is like, this is actually a good point to bring up because this is where I think things get too polarized, too polarized between the kind of evidence-based people and the people who maybe are, you know, they, 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 they think they know a little bit of physiology and they're trying to make arguments against some fairly solid evidence, but they just don't know what they don't know. And the, the evidence-based community often end up in a way sort of 
ridiculing those people on the other side so much that there's never any like productive discourse and we can never meet in the middle because like hormones do matter you know like it is a thing they exist but what we have to realize is that the hormonal considerations that people might talk about in relation to things like things like insulin things like thyroid etc they're built into the calories in calories out model as in like it still fits within that paradigm in that like someone could have you know hypothyroidism and they would have less energy out on that side of the equation the calories out equation which still fits in with the calories in calories out model as in like that's still why they're not losing weight so even when you have something that might be considered like pathological from a hormonal perspective the reason someone the reason they're still not they're not losing weight is still the result of calories in calories out like as the actual like causal model that you that you'd use but it can be affected by other factors so that like that's that's the key point to understand here is that like just because calories in calories out is essentially the way we try and understand weight loss it doesn't mean that we just look at that as our like intervention because that that's the key point of misunderstanding here is that people assume that when when we say why fat loss occurs they assume that like that's then the advice that you give that you just say oh yeah eat less and move more you know whereas it's ne- it's never really as simple as that like you have to tell people how and and like you like you've alluded to there's psychological things as well that play into that like a, a very simple one would be you know you you've had a stressful week you want to eat more and that then affects your calories in calories out because it forces you to eat more, to to consume more calories you know so these things are acting they're all important and that's why it's important not to dissociate hormones from that model not to dissociate psychology from that model because i think that's where we don't we fall down a lot of the times is trying to put things into separate categories as opposed to realizing that actually they're all built into the same model of the human you know because it is a whole person so so i suppose like yeah that that's my perspective because i can understand why there's frustration from people who are you know real hardcore evidence-based dudes that want to just troll everyone you know we all fall into that trap sometimes i understand why those people would be frustrated but i also understand the people the young trainers and stuff that are coming into the industry and they're hearing about things like hormones and stuff and they're like oh yeah this calories in calories out thing is actually too simple that's stupid you know because it is all about hormones so i definitely appreciate both of those perspectives yeah and it always reminds me of back in the day well it's still to this day um like doctors used to say that testosterone didn't do anything in terms of didn't improve performance didn't improve muscle didn't improve like mood like they legitimately and you'll still see this with doctors today like they refuse point blank to say that testosterone improves athletic performance right and it's like this like you are you're doing that because you're in this evidence-based model right and you're you're a doctor right and you're just ignoring a load of other stuff like back in the day they used to do that where it was like oh no we've no we've no proof that testosterone improves performance like athletic performance and all of the uh, olympic athletes and everything were juiced to the gills and they're like no yeah no it actually improves performance quite a lot and the doctors were like no 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 that makes no sense whatsoever so that's what it always reminds me of like the, the, the dichotomy that we have here in the, the nutrition sphere where it's like hormones matter, but these evidence-based, quote-unquote evidence-based people point blank refuse to acknowledge that evidence and then go, oh no, it's just it's the model that we have works, so that's the only thing that matters, you know? And like you said, 
it, it is it is very easy to fall into the trap either side of that um, and, and kind of ignore the arguments on the other side because you're like, oh, that's just stupid. Like they're saying, oh, it's all this. And we're saying it's all this. And it's like, well, if we kind of somewhat meet in the middle, like let's actually listen to their claims. Let's see what they're, what evidence they're putting forth on both sides. And let's see how that actually works within the model that we have, either side of the argument, you know? And I think that's, that's the best way to approach this. So like if we do talk about the, the, the physiological adaptations, right? The main things you kind of see with the, the arguments, the, what people are putting forth, like they will talk about testosterone, right? They'll talk about insulin. They might talk about something like pyroid. They might talk about something like leptin perhaps. And those are the kind of big ones that you'll see talked about, right? So let's kind of just touch on those and then talk about the, the actual adaptations with dieting, right? So the, the one that you've, you probably see the most with fat loss as the goal, right? Especially in the, the general population, right? Because as a, a general population person, you're kind of like you're exposed to all these random thoughts and you're not, you're not in this industry. You're not in the trenches, so to speak. And as a result, you're kind of just like, okay, well, this expert said this and this expert said this. And I heard this from, I don't know, Sheila down the road. So, you know, I'm kind of just putting all these things together and stitching my own evidence together. Right. And again, like that's, that is, that's perfectly fine as long as you're getting good information in. Right. But what you'll hear a lot of is the stuff around thyroid because people will be exposed to someone that has uh, lowered thyroid. Right. Especially if you're a female, this is a little bit more prevalent in, in females. Um, but you'll, you'll see that someone is exposed to someone that has uh, low thyroid levels. Right. And as a result, they gain weight. Right. So if you're looking at this from a, a general population perspective, you just look at that and go, well, she was eating the same. Like she didn't change her diet habits and she got this diagnosis of low thyroid. She said she was feeling low energy. and all of a sudden she started gaining weight. So obviously these hormones are a pretty big deal, right? You may not really understand the mechanisms by which they act, but you know that, okay, thyroid is clearly important for something, right? So thyroid clearly plays into this overall model. Maybe it's more important than the calories she's eaten because like Sheila down the road got that diagnosis of low thyroid and her calories stayed the same. So it can't be the calorie side of things. Like it, this, these people telling me it's all calories in calories out. Like they're clearly wrong because Sheila was eating the same. She was still doing her same daily activities. You know, there's, there's no, like they're, they're clearly wrong. Okay. It's all the thyroid. So the reason that I can't lose weight is because maybe my thyroid's a little bit sluggish, right? That, that's the reason, right? And again, that's based on the evidence you've been presented with that seems like a very reasonable conclusion to come to. Would you agree? Yeah, very reasonable. Um, that, that's a very reasonable conclusion to come to. However, it misidentifies the actual issue that's occurring, right? So we'll talk about thyroid a little bit more. So thyroid obviously does a, a, a lot of things in your body. And I don't want to make this podcast about going through each individual hormones and telling you all the different functions of it. And, but it does a lot of things in your body, one of which is that it contributes to your basal metabolic rate. We'll just put it like that, okay? Like it actually does a lot of different signaling things. It's somewhat a sensor of energy availability to an extent, which we'll kind of come back to now in a second. 
but it does this thing where it contributes to your basal metabolic rate. Okay, so that's just the, the calories you burn at rest. Okay, so generally you'll see this. If someone has hyper, like as in too much thyroid, they'll generally be, their, their body will run a little bit warmer right? So you'll actually, you'll, you'll feel it. Someone with hyperthyroidism, you know, they might be sitting in a room that's, I don't know, 10 degrees Celsius and they're in a, a wife beater sweating, <laughs> you know, because they, they have this slightly higher metabolic rate. Okay. So again, this still also plays in with your model where you're kind of like, okay, so it is all the hormones that matter. That, that's all that matters. Like if this person is burning more because they just have a higher thyroid, like that's, Obviously, that's why they're, they're skinnier, you know? That's why they, they have less fat. And again, you are correct, right? Again, from your conclusion, you're going, yes, this is all hormones. Hormones are the only thing that matters. However, you have to also factor in that, as I said, thyroid is a kind of a sensor of energy availability in the body. So it's affected by the calories you eat, the diet that you eat, right? And this is both from the perspective of calories and also the macronutrients. Like there is research to show that you know, carbohydrates have a little bit more of an effect on thyroid. And again, we'll kind of touch on that a little bit more when we talk about insulin. Um, but if we look at that and go, okay, so we, we know that thyroid plays a role in fat mass right? If you're hyperthyroid, you tend to have a lower fat mass. And if you're hypo, like lower thyroid, you tend to have a little bit more fat mass as just a general blanket statement. Obviously, that's not correct in every case, but that's something that you kind of start noticing, right? And again, you look at that model, that SECO model, the calories in, calories out model, you can go, that's just too simplistic. Okay, so obviously the thyroid is affecting this calories out model to an extent, but you're like, mm, maybe it's not that big of a deal. I don't really know right? So you're saying it kind of interacts, like calories matter somewhat, but hormones matter more because you can clearly see once you have these two levels, a high level or a low level, the body changes, right? And nothing else seems to have changed. However, thyroid, yes, it contributes to your basal metabolic rate, but it's also then feeding into other things like your, your feeling of energy. And what I mean by that is, you know, the, how energetic you feel day to day. And I, this is something that's huge in, in terms of actual, actually why diets fail. You know, this, I'm going to call it a feeling of energy, but it's not really that. What it is, is, you know, you're, you do more spontaneous activity, right? Or non-exercise activity is generally what like it's referred to. Non-exercise activity thermogenesis is what the, the component of metabolism is. And thyroid feeds into this. So if you have a slightly higher thyroid level like you will not only just have a, a slightly higher basal metabolic rate in terms of you know the, the the heat generation stuff but potentially you'll also have a higher non-exercise activity thermogenesis and these are people that you generally see like if you see someone that has hyperthyroidism like they're generally be fidgeting all the time they'll generally be like i need to walk around a bit more i need to like be doing something rather than just sitting down right they need to be doing something moving around you know, something, playing with something, the hands are always moving, like mine are now, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And that contributes hugely to this effect. So then we also see it on the opposite side where someone with hypothyroidism doesn't do those things. So their non-exercise activity term within genesis goes down. So they'd be sitting down. They're just, oh, I'm just I'm too tired to move. I don't have the energy to move, right? And that's, that's the... That we'll say the phenotype they're expressing, that, that kind of 
lazy, quote unquote, lazy uh, phenotype where they're just like, oh, I'm just unmotivated to move. I don't have the energy to do it, you know? So while it does affect your basal metabolic rate, it also affects this like non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So we've got these two things now that are moving the needle either side, right? That is what we're actually talking about when we're talking about the, the calories out perspective right? It's not just what you burn in the gym. It's not just like, oh, I was on the treadmill and I burned 300 calories. So that's what's contributing to my day, my daily, whatever calorie intake, my, my daily calorie burn. It's not just that, right? It's also all these other things that play into your overall metabolism, like your basal metabolic rate, you know, which again, there's not a huge amount you can do with that outside of some of the adaptations we're going to talk about now in a second. But there is a huge amount of stuff you can do with it, the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And this is, again, where the, the thyroid plays in. And this is the calories out perspective because that's a huge component that people just completely forget about. So we'll take that example of Sheila down the road where she's like, oh, I got this diagnosis of hypothyroidism. So I have low thyroid and I just started gaining weight, right? And again, like the, the hypothyroidism could have come from whatever, I don't know, anything, you know? Um, and all of a sudden, she'll stop moving as much. She won't be going walking to the shop or whatever. She won't be doing whatever it is, the, the general activity, day-to-day activity she normally do, is normally doing. She won't fidget as much. And all of those things, while they seem inconsequential, do add up to quite a substantial amount. I know there's like often quoted that it's like, there's a, in the research, there's one uh, example where it's like a non-exercise activity thermogenesis accounts for like 2000 calories burned throughout the day, which is obviously like if you're, unaccounting for 2000 calories you know like that's that's obviously a significant amount like if you have two individuals and one of them is burning 2000 extra calories than the other you can pretty much assume one of them is going to have an easier time with overall fat loss than the other right so that's a huge component that's something that thyroid really plays into right so now we're just starting to see this kind of interplay here where hormones matter but they only matter insofar as they influence this calories in, calories out model, right? And there's some stuff that goes on with dieting and thyroid, which we're going to touch on now. But I just want to ask Gary, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I suppose the only thing I'd add, just like for our own like security, I'd say, <laughs> is that like, you know, as we discuss these things, these adaptations and, you know, hormonal changes and stuff like that, also recognize that like it's not just like we're saying oh yeah your hormones are only screwed up because the way you eat and you just fix it through nutrition <laughs> just in case because i know there will be someone that'll take that away like you do you, you do for sure have real pathology as well like i know patty you worked with uh one of our clients who has uh who's probably listening to this the the orange guy Ooh. from the north <laughs> but you know and and he he had Hashimoto's thyroid thyroiditis that's right exactly so like that's a real pathology you know you, you could have you could have thyroid cancer you so you can have all these different like pathologies that do really affect the way in which like hormones are secreted whether it's like overcompensating or or, or undercompensating so recognize like that it's, it's not just a, a simple picture um either and that's one of the reasons that i think you should be hesitant to get, I guess, you know, these these simple like lab tests that you get online, check yourself, and then go to some nutrition guru on Instagram for advice. Um, so like if you do if you do have these like 
like gen, genuine endocrinolo endocrinological slash hormonal issues, I do actually see a doctor as well. Like that's probably a good idea. <laughs> just, just saying. Yeah, like it is. It's one of those things that I'm always like in my mind. I go back and forth with because obviously there are like nutritional interventions that you can bring in yeah. that can be hugely impactful. Same with like training interventions or quote unquote lifestyle interventions that can be hugely impactful. At the same time, it's like you have to recognize that we can't just give generalized advice based on no actual example in front of us because that's kind of what everyone yeah. expects. Like everyone always expects that we're talking directly to them. Right. And it's like, that's, it's an impossible task to do. And like, you see this reflected in like questions we get, who will be like, Oh, should I do X or Y? And it's like, I have no idea what your goals are. Like I have le legitimately, like you didn't give me any qualifications, any context, anything. You just asked a question that it, like both answers could potentially be correct given the population, you know? So it's like this, this, you have to give context, right? And context always matters. Like we're talking about the, the, the thyroid, like you could have, like Gary said, have had thyroid ablation or something. You could have had like thyroid cancer, had it removed. You could have an actual like endocrinological disease <laughs> and like just changing your nutrition probably isn't going to do a huge amount for that, you know? However, you could be on the other side of it and be like, okay, well actually I haven't salted my food in years and I actually have really low iodine intake, you know, and that could be something that you just need to address. And all of a sudden, Oh my God, it's transformative. My thyroid is actually working now, you know? Uh, so like there, there obviously are the two sides of the coin and that's an individual thing. However, it's something that you should be working with a doctor with, you know, and this is what it kind of really annoys me when people talk about hormones, but at the same time, I'm like, if they don't talk about it, no one knows that they play a part. And again, you just end up in that role where it's like all the athletes knew that testosterone was a good boy. And all the doctors were like, no, 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 it does nothing. You know? So like it, it, you have to talk about it if you wish to change the conversation as a whole. However, obviously that leads to a lot of misinformation potentially as a result. Okay. But anyway, back to that thyroid boy. Um, so in response to dieting, right? You are going to see an increase or decrease in thyroid hormone, right? And again, this is because like thyroid is kind of playing this role as an energy sensor. Um, and obviously it's interacting with other hormones, which we'll talk about now in a second. Um, but it's kind of playing this role as an energy sensor. So if you increase your calories, generally what you'll see is an increase in thyroid hormone, right? And the same response, or sorry, the Converse response, if you reduce your calories, you'll generally see a reduction in thyroid hormone, right? Generalized. Some people, like I've seen it in their lab work and stuff, will have an increased result, an increased response of thyroid to a calorie deficit, which is kind of really counterintuitive, but there are a number of reasons why that could have occurred, right? Um, but generally, that's what you'll see. If you increase your calories, thyroid will go up. If you decrease your calories, thyroid will go down, right? Now, obviously, it's not one-to-one -one ratio. You know, it's not like, oh, I increased my calories 100. You know, my thyroid went up by one. You know, it's not, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio or whatever, you know, um, or a one-to-100 ratio in that case. <laughs> um, but it, it, is, it is, to some extent, influenced by the calories you eat. Now, obviously, it's going to 
bottom out or top out at a certain level depending on where you're at like it again like as i'm saying it's not you go from 3000 calories that might be at the highest your your thyroid can respond and if you go to 4000 calories it's not going to go higher as a result like it might go ever so slightly higher but it's not a linear relationship same with the the reduction in calories you might see you know it goes down a reduced amount of thyroid and you reduce calories again you might see a slight reduction but it's not a linear relationship that side either however that doesn't discount the fact that it is impacted by the calories the overall energy that you are eating right and again this is where the seco model that calories in calories out model starts interacting with hormones right so you can see how given what we've talked about given when we talked about this hyper and hypothyroidism and how it affects your non-exercise activity thermogenesis and r- your rough like kind of basal metabolic rate you can see how that starts impacting this calories in calories out perspective and you can see how your calories in calories out perspective starts impacting your hormones so they are it's a two-way street you know like your diet affects your thyroid and your thyroid affects how you respond to your th- diet so this again like we were saying at the start of the episode where people kind of talk past each other and go shut up about the hormones it's stupid it's all just calories in calories out and then the other side of it is like oh it's all just hormones calories are irrelevant it's like these two things play into each other you can't discuss one without the other right so that's that's the main one people talk about when they talk about well general population talk about when they talk about the diet and how hormones affect it and how dieting affects it right do you have anything else to add on thyroid before we move on no sounds good to me bro Fantastic. The next one then you'll see like kind of bandied around is insulin, right? You'll see insulin portrayed as the fat gain hormone, right? It's a storage hormone. That means you only store fat as a result of insulin. So you have to eat uh, a low carb diet, right? Which is completely ridiculous because yes, carbs are insulinogenic, but some amino acids are more insulinogenic than carbohydrates. So if you want to propose your model as low carbs that's the way we get rid of this insulin impact then you also have to make the argument that low protein is also the goal right which just leaves like basically you're a ketogenic diet right which is fine in certain populations but that's that's the way you have to go you can't be low carb because of the insulin boogeyman and then be high protein and like that those two things are dichotomous, right? But anyway, that's a, that's a side rant. So insulin is something that interacts with fat storage. We can kind of hear that. You can also see in like diabetics, you'll generally see them like, okay, well, my insulin is high. And generally you'll see diabetics having higher body fat mass, but then it becomes a chicken or egg scenario. It's like, did they get the higher body fat mass because of higher insulin? Or did they get the diabetes because of higher body fat mass? You know, it's kind of like, which is the, the, it's a chicken or egg argument, right? Um, And so, yeah, insulin generally is discussed as this fat storage hormone. But again, it completely belittles insulin's overall effect because insulin is also playing this role as an energy sensor in the body. So it's impacted by the calories you eat, the types of calories you eat to some extent. but mainly it's responding to the calories you eat. So if you have a a higher calorie diet, generally you'll see more insulin produced 
to deal with those higher calories. Pretty straightforward. Even if you use the argument that insulin is a storage hormone, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. You, you're eating more calories. They have to be stored somewhere. So that makes sense, right? And your argument may be that those, they're going to be stored as fat. That's fine. You can make that argument. Um, but we can see that there's some sort of interplay going on here that insulin seems to affect the body in how it, you know, what the fat mass is like, but it also seems to be impacted by the diet to some extent, right? And then you'll also see that insulin levels go down in response to a calorie deficit, right? But again, if you use this fat storage model or this storage model of insulin, you can kind of go, yeah, that makes sense. We have less to store, so less insulin, right? However, again, it belittles the overall effect of insulin in this whole system. Insulin is probably the, I'm going to say the most important energy sensor. Well, yeah, the, 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 one of the most important energy sensors in the body, right? So it also interacts with all these other things that are dependent on energy availability, right? And what I mean by that is like your body wants to know how much energy is available in its budget right? It wants to know how much energy it can allot to certain processes, right? So it needs to know how much energy it has coming in and out on a daily basis, you know? It also needs to know how much it has stored, which we'll kind of talk about a different hormone now in a second with that. Um, but it needs to know where, what this balance is like, you know, where, where is this balance at? You know, do we have a lot of energy coming in? Because if I have a lot of energy coming in, you know, I'm going to allocate some resources to some other things that maybe I've been putting off. Or, you know, you're actually doing a bit of resistance training. So, like, actually, I know I have a lot of energy coming in. So, I can actually add, allocate a lot more energy to both your, your training sessions and then also your adaptations to those training sessions, right? So, we can see that if energy, if insulin is this energy sensor, and even if you use it as a storage hormone, it's, that means it still has to function as an energy sensor to know what to store, you know, and it starts playing into these other things, right? So what we actually want to talk about when we're talking about insulin is your sensitivity to this insulin response, right? And you, you kind of want to be insulin sensitive in the muscles and insulin resistant in the fat, right? If you're trying to gain weight, right? To, to some extent, you want the opposite when you're losing weight, but that's a, that's a different story. And so what you want is your, your body to store, quote unquote, store resources in your muscles. If you're trying to build muscle, that sounds like a pretty good, pretty good bet. Like you want the, those stores to get into the muscles where they'll hopefully get worked and contribute to anabolism, contribute to growth of those muscles. And you kind of want it to be resistant in the fat where it's like, oh no, insulin knocks at the door, but the fat goes, no, 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 we're good. You know, fuck off. Um, that, that's kind of what you want, right? If In terms of body composition, right? And again, you'll see people have better insulin sensitivity and, and they'll literally, they'll have some carbs, they'll have some food in general. And it seems like they only put on muscle and never put on fat, right? And again, this, this is where you start seeing these hormones start affecting this calories in, calories out balance. Because if that's the case, right, and someone is more sensitive to that insulin signal in the muscles and more resistant to it in the, the fat tissue, then you can see how that person is going to 
respond to a certain type of diet and that can leave them feeling like that's the only way to diet right and that's the same if you are someone who responds oppositely right in terms of your your muscles aren't that sensitive to the signal and you know your fat cells are a little bit more sensitive to the signal so you try to gain weight on a diet and as a result all you seem to really gain is fat you know you're kind of like well this this calories in calories out shtick doesn't seem to work because i tried to follow this guy's diet who is jacked who seems to respond really really well to just increasing his calories and i tried to do the same and insulin said go fuck yourself you're going to gain 99% fat you know and you can see how that starts that argument starts going into it so then you start thinking like okay so if i keep my insulin levels lower then i'm not going to store as much fat so i can start manipulating my diet that way right and that again could potentially be a, a valid approach right so we can start seeing this kind of interplay between the two and how that kind of starts influencing how you start thinking about insulin and how you start thinking about how you should affect insulin. Do you have anything to add, Gary? No, other than, other than just like tying it together, like in that, like you, your discussion here, like about insulin, and if we take it back to the discussion about thyroid, it essentially ends up coming back to as we begin to eat more and overconsume calories over a long period of time and, and gain more body fat, that tends to have a generally unfavorable effect on the hormones, you know, and, and, and vice versa when we're going too far down. So essentially what we see is that, like, there are negatives to chronic overfeeding and chronic underfeeding, which seem to be sort of adaptive in some sense, and that the main thing that we're actually in control over, in control of, is in fact like the amount of overall energy in the diet and obviously diet quality and macronutrient composition etc which which is which is something that i don't think people often grasp as in like in on our podcast we talk a lot about like we're given the prescriptions as in like right we're talking about calories we're talking about macronutrients we're talking about like why you should eat veg etc but it's it's all acting within a, a paradigm of other things that are actually considered as in there are lots of other peripheral variables as we discussed at the start and there are things that you don't need to or necessarily want to worry about if you just actually engage in the behaviors that are going to move you in the right direction. Um, so so that is, is sort of the justification of why we don't bring hormones into every discussion that we have about nutrition because you just don't really have to worry about it if you're, you know, if you're just doing the things that we're saying you should do. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like I was saying before with insulin, like it's acting as this kind of energy sensor. So what you actually have control over is not your genetics, right? That you just, you were given them like, sorry, if you got a shit ride, you got a shit ride, you know? And what you do have control over is your overall calories. Then you can only see how your body responds to them. And like, as I said, insulin is acting as this kind of energy sensor and giving feedback to the body. Right. And this, again, is going to be the same when we discuss these other variables as well. But you'll see this. And insulin is one, again, like you see most people talk about if they're not talking about thyroid. They'll be like, oh, yeah, uh, insulin. It's the fat storage hormone, blah, 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 blah. All the shit you see with insulin. Right. And it's because insulin is acting as this energy sensor. And your body needs energy sensors, again, as I said, 
to know how to upregulate and downregulate and essentially allocate resources, right? And this is essentially what insulin is doing, right? And again, once you start seeing how these threads start interconnecting, you start realizing that a lot of what people say about hormones is actually dichotomous to the truth, right? Like people will say, you need to eat low carb to minimize insulin, but you need to, I don't know, get enough zinc in your diet to maximize thyroid when, or sorry, to maximize testosterone, right? And you kind of start thinking, you're like, wait a second, let's, let's just back up a, sec- a second here. So insulin is signaling to the body energy availability, right? So it can allocate resources. One of the things that it interacts with is testosterone, right? Because if your body is using insulin to signal energy availability, to understand how much energy you have available, that also then impacts how it's going to allocate those resources to reproductive hormones, you know, the overall reproductive system. Because if you're in a time of abundance, you know, you're eating more, that's generally signaling to the body that this is probably a good time to mate and have children, you know? So, you know, reproductive function kind of goes up in a calorie surplus when you have calories available for these extra functions, right? It's not the whole story because we'll talk about leptin now in a second, but it is one of the the, the parts of the story. So if you're recommending a diet to supposedly increase testosterone and you're talking about lowering insulin, it's like this, okay, you're going to have to propose some sort of mechanism by which this this occurs because your body's using insulin as this, this energy sensor to kind of go, okay, I have this much energy available to me. If you didn't get rid of that signal, you know, it, or sorry, quote unquote, get rid of the signal where, which some people claim to do. And um, kind of like, well, how is, how is the body then signaling to increase these reproductive hormones? Now there are methods, there are mechanisms even that it, it could potentially, but it's like, this is, this is one of the main ones that it uses. So if we're talking about affecting insulin, we have to then discuss how that affects other hormones, which is again, what people kind of talk about. And again, what the people who just say it's calories in calories out kind of belittle, right? And it is because like what you said, Gary, it effectively does boil down to the only thing you have control over is the calories, right? So you can either change your calories eat at maintenance, eat at a deficit, eat at a surplus, and your body will respond how it's supposed to respond. Things only start getting wacky once you get to the higher levels of body fat or you get to the really low levels of body fat. But if you're in that kind of range of quote-unquote normal body fat, and generally that's the kind of 8 to 16% for a male, and it's generally that kind of 15 to 25, maybe even 30 for a female, you know, that general range, things work pretty optimally, right? Some people are going to experience issues at those body fat ranges, either at the lower ends or the higher ends. But as a general rule, again, like this, we can only give generalized advice. They seem to be the rough body fat percentages that correlate with quote unquote normal body fat or the quote unquote, ideal body fat <clears throat> uh, from a health perspective anyway. And, 
as I said with the insulin stuff, it starts affecting how your body, first of all, partitions calories. But again, that's something you can't really influence outside of doing all these other peripheral things like Gary was saying, like, you know, sleeping enough. That's something that affects insulin sensitivity. You know, resistance training, doing cardiovascular training. These are all things that influence insulin sensitivity, right? So we're talking about the diet in the context that you're someone that's already doing a lot of the things correctly right? Because if you are talking about failing your diet, which is what this discussion is ultimately about, and you're not sleeping six to eight hours per night, you're not resistance training, you're not doing any cardiovascular work, you're really, really stressed all the time. It's like, these are all contributors that have to be factored in. And again, this is where the the, the SECO people, the calories in, calories out people kind of miss the boat. And the the, the hormone people will call them kind of get more things right. Cause they're like, oh, all these variables matter. And the, the calories in calories out people are like, no, nah, no, nah, it's just calories in calories out. And it's like, you need to kind of blend these two approaches and kind of realize that, you know, it's, it's multifactorial calories, cal- calories in calories out is the ultimate driver. If you're in a surplus, you're going to gain weight. It's as simple as that. Like there's no, there's no question. That's simple thermodynamics. Right. However, there's all these other variables that, first of all, affect how your body will respond to a given calorie level, how your body will look at a certain given calorie level, and then also how a given calorie level will actually affect weight loss or weight gain. Right. So it is both approaches. They're going to be variable degrees of interaction. Right. But anyway, insulin, energy sensor, your body's using as somewhat of an energy sensor to kind of allocate resources right so yes we want to manage insulin that's a a pretty good idea but the way you manage insulin is eating a calorie appropriate diet and staying within the the rough body fat ranges that are appropriate for you to have a good insulin response that's they're the only things that you need to need to really look after once you're looking after the big picture stuff like sleeping enough practicing stress management resistance training doing cardiovascular training you know once you're doing all those things it's like you like you don't even need to think of insulin your body does the job there's a reason that you know you're it's a subconscious thing that you don't have to consciously think of okay i need to secrete this x amount of insulin because i ate this like that's something you need to think of if you're a diabetic and you're on insulin injections like yes that's definitely something you need to think of but if you're stressing over insulin and you're uh a healthy population or you're in that healthy population you don't have a diseased state then you're missing the forest for the trees because the things you really need to look after are the variables i've mentioned and ultimately the calories you're eating right and the calories you're expending obviously um but anyway so insulin energy sensor that's what you can think of it as the next energy sensor which is again conveniently enough also one of the hormones that people talk about is leptin right? And obviously it does a huge amount more and we're just glossing over it, but leptin is essentially giving an energy sensor or an energy signal, energy sensor signal uh, to how much stored energy you have and stored in terms of body fat. So if you have low body fat, I always get this mixed up, but yeah, low body fat, you have a low leptin signal. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always get that confused. I'm like, oh wait, is it it high? Because then you start getting like, leptin resistance in the brain (laughs) high or low but anyway yeah so low body fat low leptin you've higher body fat you've higher leptin again it's like thyroid it's not like this this linear relationship 
it is to an extent, but then you start getting it out into the, the edges, the peripheries, and it starts getting all squirrely and it's all over the place, right? But leptin, again, energy signal, energy sensing signal is telling your body how much fat you have on your body, which again, let's see, that's going to start interacting with all these other hormones. Like, oh wait, that's going to start interacting with your thyroid. That's going to start interacting with your uh, insulin that's also going to start interacting with testosterone because again like the, your body is not just like what we like to think of it as is these isolated systems it is a cohesive holistic unit you know you can't just isolate a system and then presume it has no functions elsewhere or doesn't interact with other things right but yeah leptin goes down when you're dieting like fat loss dieting and it goes up when you're muscle gain dieting or weight gain dieting you know so again we start thinking of that if we are dieting to lose fat and leptin is going down, signaling the body that we have less energy available, you start getting these other things going on. Like again, testosterone starts going down, you know, but again, it's because fat mass is going down, you have less energy available. You know, you also see that insulin goes down, but again, it's because you've less fat mass available. So, you know, <laughs> you need less of an insulin signal because, you know, you've got less fat mass straightforward enough same with thyroid so all of these things start going down in response to weight loss dieting and then they start going up in response to weight gain dieting again in a, a quote-unquote healthy population yes there are going to be people that are leptin resistant but you'd know if you had some sort of you'd need a genetic defect to be leptin resistant and those people generally do tend to be very overweight as far as i remember from the research it's been years since i looked at all the left yeah, yeah they're the people who have like a, a defect from birth and they just like eat uncontrollably and cannot stop themselves but but you can also become like leptin resistance just as a result of, of being overweight because it is essentially like an adipokine which means it's released from your fat cells and that's one of the interesting things that comes into this discussion as well is that when people do talk about hormones like and i'm by far from an expert like when people do talk about hormones they often just like gloss over like the big three or four that are sexy you know like you might hear testosterone you might hear estrogen you know if someone's really getting into things but what you have to realize is that there's all these hormones and neurotransmitters which are other types of signaling molecules that are taking place at every location in the body and that also vary in their functions in different areas of the body like a good one is like serotonin in the gut for example because people often hear of things like serotonin as it relates to happiness in the brain and your mood and then people see like oh did you know that like i think it's 90 percent like 90 percent of serotonin is 70 70 percent of serotonin is like made in your gut whereas like the function that serves in the gut is totally unrelated and is on doesn't cross the blood brain barriers related more so to like gastric motility and stuff so so you have all these examples of where things are just totally complicated like leptin is another good one where it's like all right, more leptin equals good, whereas then it's like, no, you actually become resistant to that signal when you have too much. So we can't just look at hormones as being like good or bad. They're simply signals that, are, that can become problematic when you have a pathology or really bad, I guess, life stressors or eating stressors, physical stressors, et cetera. So, so it, it is always more complicated than, than it sounds on Instagram for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, as we were saying about leptin, again, goes up, goes down in response to dieting. All you really have control over is staying within that fat range and the calories you eat and the calories you expend throughout the day. Are we seeing a pattern here, Gary? Yeah, it's a bit weird. Like it's like it's like hormones matter, but calories in, calories out or something. 
or something like that. And then again, <laughs> on the testosterone one, because it's very simple, you know, again, like as we've been saying, if your body senses it has enough energy, it's going to allocate resources towards reproductive hormones. Because as much as you go, oh, testosterone is great, and as we've discussed, it's fucking great. It, like builds muscle, does all the good stuff, keeps you happy, keeps you healthy, blah, 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 improves performance. Great. We love testosterone. But your body goes, hmm, the real function of testosterone, well, we'll say the real function of testosterone on the body is to make you more masculine, is to produce what men are supposed to produce, and that is sperm. No, not muscles, Gary. Um, <laughs> you know, and if, you, if your body is like, okay, well, there's actually a famine, you know, even if it's in a self-induced famine where you're just restricting calories, then your body's going to go, yeah, actually, I, I'm not going to reallocate all these resources towards reproduction when there's hardly enough calories here to support myself, let alone a child. Like, it doesn't make much sense. However, you're still obviously going to be that opportunistic individual and still produce some sperm, still produce some testosterone, you know, because like, you know, you never know what's going to happen down the road. You don't want to shut things off completely, you know? Um, so what happens in response to all of these energy sensors signaling the energy availability to the body, testosterone goes down when you induce a calorie deficit and testosterone goes up when you induce a calorie surplus, right? Pretty straightforward. Again, it's not a linear relationship. Like if you have low testosterone and you're in a surplus, you know, there might be other things going on that are outside of this. Again, there are pathologies outside of just calories in, calories out. Um, but again, if you have low testosterone and you've been dieting for the last 18 months, it's like, yeah, well, like I wouldn't be getting on that TRT just yet. I'd probably try, you know, maybe gaining a little bit of energy in the body. That could be true, you know, fat, and that could be true just eating more, you know, which are generally, again, seems to be interplaying with this calories in, calories out stuff, and obviously staying within that rough body fat range. Like it all comes back to that. It's pretty straightforward. They are all of what we've discussed, all these hormones, whenever anyone talks about it, these are all just normal things, the normal adaptations to dieting. Like you can get into all the really nitty gritty stuff and talk about fucking proton leakage and whatever else. But at the end of the day, it's all irrelevant unless you have a calorie appropriate diet and you're in the appropriate body fat range for your overall health and performance and aesthetic, I suppose, goals, you know? Like once you're in that range, your body's gonna function well. Depend, how well depends on your overall genetics and you know, where it suits you best. Um, but once you're eating an appropriate level of calories for your overall goals and you're staying within that body fat range, like good things happen. Like that, it's pretty straightforward as that. Anything you hear discussed, increasing testosterone, decreasing testosterone, managing insulin, whatever the fuck else, it's all just normal adaptations to dieting. You don't need to think of it any further than control your calories, stay in a healthy body fat range. Pretty straightforward, right? Now I need to pee, Gary. So you're going to start talking. No problem. <laughs> and what you're going to start talking about is how that plays into why diets fail. And what I mean by that is why <laughs> diets fail in response to having dieted for a number of weeks. Because if we're moving these energy sensors around, 
obviously for these energy sensing molecules around lowering or increasing levels, obviously the body starts realizing that mm, there's actually a deficit of energy here. I'm going to have to start regulating some other processes. Anyway, I'm going to urinate. So please talk. Here. So yeah, like as, as you can see from that last part of the discussion, when we do over or under feed into our total energy, we begin to have some changes within the body that are relatively normal, expected and adaptive, you know, evolutionarily. So they're not to be, to be viewed as inherently negative things. However, those things are part of a, a larger milieu, you could say, of things that you are going to actually experience as an individual. Because at the end of the day, while you think you might, you don't really care about what the levels of your hormones are. You care about how that like manifests in terms of either your experience in life, your sense of well-being, your ability to reach your goals, to perform at the level you want to be able to perform at, etc. Okay, so that's what you really care about in real life. So when we begin to get into a larger energy energy deficit, let's say, so let's say you're dieting really harsh for a really long period of time, or you're like a bodybuilder, a really lean person at the end of a diet, and you begin to, or one of the things, or many of the things you'll begin to notice will be things like feeling a bit more sluggish, not fidgeting as much, not being quite as warm, not being as willing to go for a walk or to take the stairs or you know, you might be as willing to put as much effort into your training. Um, you might you might have increases in appetite or cravings that lead you to just have an extra bite or two here and there. So all these things begin to creep into your life as behaviors that essentially are forcing you to try and consume extra energy and to gain body fat again. Okay, so what you can see is that these your your body or you you're essentially sensing this low energy status that you have and adjusting your behavior and your physiology accordingly. So that could be you burning less energy through not walking as much throughout the day or through not fidgeting. It could be you burning less energy because you're not training as hard in the gym anymore and you're not able to perform as much volume. That again is, is part of this. You know, It might be that you're no longer able to build muscle because you're not allocating as much energy towards that. Same when it comes to things like your reproductive function. You, you know, One of the things that you often see in, in females in particular is that they might, well, females in particular, like obviously men aren't going to lose their periods, but, but in, in females. Awfully sexist of you, but okay. <laughs> I'm such a bigot, but no. Like one of the things you might use, you'll see in females who are chronically, let's say, overtraining or under-consuming calories. They're in a low energy availability state. They can end up losing their period or having menstrual irregularities. So again, that's one way that your body is essentially conserving energy, and that you can see how that would be, you know, beneficial evolutionarily. The same things happen to to guys, but guys don't tend to talk about it as much. You know, bodybuilders when they get towards the end of their prep, um, their their sex lives aren't so good. You know, you speak to any bodybuilder and, and or, or or your bodybuilder's girlfriend or boyfriend and ask them how the relationship is for the last four weeks of prep. Very often, like in lots of cases, they're probably not you know going to bed making love every night because they, they just don't feel like it. You know, they're probably dreaming about food rather than sex. You know, and that's that's genuinely what I, any bodybuilder will tell you toward the end of their prep. They care far more about food than they do about their, the opposite sex um, or the same sex, okay? So that's important to, 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 to take note of. So we, we discussed those, those couple of things, you know, you have an adjustment in things like 
your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, you're not moving as much, you're not fidgeting as much, you might not be as warm, you're not putting as much effort into your training, you're not recovering as well from your training, so you can't do as much volume overall, you've got increases in appetite and cravings, and you're more likely to take a little bite here and there of extra foods. Um, so all these things kind of come in together that are ultimately the result of that low energy status. You might even have other things where, for example, you may, you may feel like you have less resilience to stress because you're hungry all the time and you're getting a bit more frustrated at work, which could then feed into you wanting to eat a bit more to comfort yourself. Or you might not be able to sleep through the night because your, your energy status is too low and that then affects your appetite again or, and, and your ability to train and to move because you're, you're now sleep deprived. So what you'll see is that it's this big kind of cycle of relatively normal things that happen, but that are going to be a bit more aggressive when you're either in a very severe deficit, so a large deficit, pretty much more or less independent of the level of body fat that you're at, or when you're at a very low level of body fat, more or less like, again, independent of the, the deficit. And that like you could, you could be maintaining but if you're trying to maintain at 4% body fat, you're probably going to experience all of the, all of the things we just discussed for someone who's in a large deficit. So, so that's, that's also important to consider. Yeah, and that's why I was using that kind of rough range. Now, obviously, it's yeah. going to be different for everyone, but for males, yeah. it does seem to be in that 8 to 16 or 8 to 20, again, depending on the individual will perform better at a slightly higher body fat level. Uh, some people perform better at the slightly lower, like you might see an individual get down to 6%, which is like a natural bodybuilding competition lean. Um, yeah. And they might perform well. They might have like very high testosterone levels, naturally have no, have no or none of these negative or really negative adaptations to dieting. Again, it's going to be very individual. And as a result, I can't give a common answer you know which is frustrating enough but as long as you're in that kind of rough range 8 to 16 for a male you could even go 15 to 30 for a female that rough and ready range you're pretty good to go um but yeah like you were saying gary these are all normal adaptations to dieting you talk to any bodybuilder they will tell you these things happened right so bringing it back to the original question why diets fail how, how do we account for stuff like this? So if we know thyroid is going to be down, insulin is going to be down, but you've increased insulin sensitivity, so that's probably not a huge issue. You know, cortisol is going to be up when we didn't kind of touch on, but that's kind of actually what you want. However, you know, it might lead to potentially some water retention. Like cortisol has some interaction with the aldosterone receptor. So, you know, you're getting some water retention from having higher cortisol levels which not a huge deal like water retention shouldn't really matter too much unless you are competing or trying to show off your physique on that day shouldn't matter too much um, and then obviously testosterone going down if we're again dieting fat loss um so how does it, how does an individual look at all that and go okay so there's all these negative quote-unquote negative adaptations occurring like, how do I diet? How do I diet successfully? Like, if I'm getting all these adaptations. And the ones that kind of, again, affect your basal metabolic rate, can't really do a huge amount with that. Because first of all, your weight is going to be down anyway. So all of your activity, any contributor to uh, metabolic 
or your metabolism as a whole that relates to movement is going to be reduced purely based on the fact that if you've dieted down from 100 kilos down to 75 kilos, you're simply carrying around 25 kilos less weight, you know? So if you were doing 10,000 steps a day at the start of your diet, you were doing 10,000 steps at 100 kilos. Even if you're doing the same amount of steps now at the end of your diet, you're still only 75 kilos. So it's less. You're burning less calories overall, right? So if our metabolism is adapting, which is something that you somewhat want, somewhat don't want, some aspects of it we don't want, is, first of all, is that a reason why people fail their diet? Second of all, how the fuck do we combat that? Like, what, 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 what do you suggest? So you've got Sheila down the road. Okay, you're not Sheila. She has a hypothyroidism. So we've got, we've got John. She has. Refer to GP. <laughs> so John down the road wants to diet. He's tried dieting before. He's been unsuccessful. How are we setting him up for success now, given everything that we know? We know hormones matter. We know ultimately it's all affected by calories in, calories out. What does that actually look like? So the individual listening to this who's kind of going, oh, it's all hormones, man. It's all hormones. Calories, I'm still not convinced on this whole thing. Like, yeah, the interplay, but I still think it's all hormones. Like, I don't care if you keep that perspective, but how do we set things up so that we move that person, that individual in the right direction? Yeah, so for, for me, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of very simple pillars that I think most of the people, like some, maybe some people are in our audience, but probably like lots of people beyond our audience, like in the gen path, would not be aware of. So like the, what, the most obvious one is controlling your calorie intake. And then like that seems obvious to some listeners, but to others it genuinely mightn't be because what most people when they come at the, when they come at, you know, dieting, what they do or what they think they should do is just quote unquote eat healthy, you know, and, and that's fine. Like that will get you somewhere in terms of like, just adjusting your food choices and leaving it at that. But if we're talking, you know, most of the things that we discuss there in terms of the adaptations that take place, they tend to be kind of subconscious to some degree in that like it's not forcing you to plan and go out and have another meal, but you might feel like you just want to snack a little bit more, be a bit lazier, you know, or, or you might pick out a few more meals and stuff like that. So, so all these subtle things are creeping in. And if you don't have control over something as basic as your calorie intake, it can be a little bit more difficult. And that doesn't mean it's going to be the case for everyone. But if you're that type of person that's listening to this podcast thinking, why can't I lose weight? You know, I've, I've been trying to change my food choices, but I haven't gotten anywhere. Then adjusting, like actually tracking your calorie intake can be a super good idea, you know. And from, and from there, you know, I, I would then look at food choices as well because that becomes increasingly important as you begin to move to a lower calorie diet. Because you can get away with eating at, let's say, your maintenance calorie intake. Okay, so you're, you know, you've been tracking everything, weighing everything, you've got all your food tracked, and you've been eating at maintenance for a while, let's say. If you're eating at maintenance, because you're kind of satisfying your energy needs, you might be able to get away with, you know, not eating that much veg, eating a little bit lower protein, and still feeling relatively satisfied. You know, you don't need to have lots of whole grains or beans or fiber or whatever, because you just feel kind of satisfied all the time. But as you begin to get to a, lower energy state where your calorie intake is lower you want to take advantage of some of the satiety benefits from foods that are going to be a bit more filling so that includes things that everyone's aware of you know like eating more vegetables you know 
eating more fruit, eating more fibrous foods in general, um, trying to choose foods that have higher volumes as opposed to real calorie dense foods, um, eating less, eating less quote unquote junk food, you know, um, drinking less alcohol, consuming more protein. So all of the basic habits that people know are a good idea, like they become increasingly important because they can help to manage uh, to manage the appetite side of the equation. Okay, so if you can manage that better, then that obviously reduces the chance of you having of, of you having this uncontrollable appetite that you feel like you need to satisfy all the time. Okay, so so that they're they're kind of the first two from the diet perspective is that if you control if you can control that much and you can be consistent with that, you at least know where that side of the equation is, at least at that point in time. So you're controlling what you can. And then the other really big one that I think is even rarer for people to account for is that sort of non-exercise activity thermogenesis that we discussed. And you can't account for all of it because some of it, like you're not, you're not going to uh, consciously decide to twitch and move your hands more or blink more or, or tap your foot like some people might. <laughs> but like those things might slow down a bit um, as you begin to diet. Um, and you might you might subconsciously take a lot less steps throughout the day, but you can definitely control the steps you take throughout the day. So beginning to track things like how many steps you take throughout the day, which could even be a case of you not even tracking at the start, but just consciously being like, I'm going to go for a 30-minute walk. I'm going to take the stairs more. I'm going to park further away, etc. Real simple tips. If you start off with things like that and you begin to track your steps, and as you begin to, let's say, stall then in your fat loss you have that option of saying of looking of reviewing your log and saying oh actually do you know my steps have been reducing that could be one factor i better get that back up to scratch and then i'll keep moving in the right direction so those for me are the biggest things that you can control as an individual but that doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy ride either you know there it could just be a bad time for you for for weight loss like you could have a seriously stressful life at the moment sleep you could be sleep deprived um and that that could be really working against you in terms of trying to manage your calorie intake and to increase your activity levels that can be difficult and sleep probably is another one that you could add in there because sleep is actually pretty damn potent in terms of like its effects on on all of these things from the hormones to your energy intake to your your activity um, that people often don't realize so if you can con control that by getting you know seven eight hours of sleep per night like that'd be fantastic lots of people don't get that if you get eight hours that'd be brilliant if you can get that much then you're more likely to be able to engage in the activities that you want to you're less likely to consume those kind of more hyper palatable calorie dense foods and you're generally going to have you're going to have changes in those hormones we discussed in favor of you generally eating a little bit less um, and making better food choices so they're the sort of things that that you're really in control of as an individual that can really work in your favor to try and minimize some of these, minimize, minimize the adaptations to some degree, but more so minimize the chance that those adaptations are going to negatively, negatively affect your outcomes. That all makes sense, Gary. Very it works like, you know. So <laughs> basically what you're saying is, our theoretical John needs to find a way that allows him to control calories. That could be calorie tracking or rather even like, I won't even say control calories, manage calories, right? That could be actually tracking them. That could be just making dietary tweaks. Like you're saying, you know, less liquid calories, less 
quote unquote junk food, that kind of stuff. Or even like you're saying, like what we generally do is just eat healthier and whatever that looks like for them as an individual, generally that will lead to some sort of weight loss. And find some way to manage your calories. That's the first step. Yes? Your calories in at least. Next thing then is yeah. And uh, next thing in then is find some way to manage your calories out. And that's accounting for both the the exercise side of things. You know, you're doing some resistance training yeah. every day, which people seem to think. Um, again, you're doing some sort of cardiovascular training as well. Um, it could be high intensity. It could be low intensity. I'm not too picky. Pick something that you enjoy. Um, and obviously then finding some way of tracking or rather even managing the, the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So maybe you go to the gym three times per week. Like what are you doing the rest of the week? Like are you getting in enough steps? Are you generally an active person? Like are you sitting at a desk all day? If so, like how are you trying to offset that? Are you going for a walk on your break? Are you going for a walk after work, before work? Like what are you doing to offset the fact that you're sitting for eight to nine hours per day, you know, including driving, you know, like what are you doing to offset that in terms of activity? Are you doing a 30 minute walk? Very simple. Could be done at the end of the day, could be done during your lunch break, whatever, you know, Um, and then manage all these little peripheral things like sleep, you know, like we'll say the, 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 style of dieting you have and what i mean by that is the the types of food you're eating making sure you're eating you know uh, a well-balanced diet in terms of you're getting enough micronutrients from a variety of sources but also i mean the the psychological side of dieting in terms of actually eating foods that you at least somewhat enjoy you know you're not just eating like chicken breads and rice cakes chicken chicken breads am i retired chicken breads chicken breasts <laughs> chicken breasts and uh rice cakes um so eat some foods that you enjoy and get a variety of sources of fruit and veg, meat, carbohydrate sources. Pretty good idea. Um, and then you won't fail your diet. However, you may still experience some hunger. You may still experience some cravings. You may still experience some, we'll call it laziness. You know, you don't want to move as much. You don't want to happen. You don't want to train as hard, and you're probably going to notice all those things. You're probably only going to really notice all those things once you get towards the lower end of the body fat ranges. Like I always kind of question it. Well, I always kind of question the the diet setup. If someone is thirty percent a male is thirty percent body fat, and they're like, "Oh, I'm dealing with mad cravings," I'm like, "Okay, well, we know that it's not an energy thing." because you have 30% body fat, your, your body has a lot of energy, you know, like it's stored there. Yes, it still has to be tapped into, but we know that's the case. So the only thing we can presume is you're either eating way too few calories or you're making dietary choices that are inappropriate. Like you see this all the time, especially with smaller females, like they'll have an intake, a, a, a dieting, like a fat loss dieting intake of 1200, which is low enough right? But that's what's required to get them slightly leaner. Like they'll be like a, I don't know, a 50 kilo female and they want to get down to 47, you know? And as a result, they have to eat 
1200 calories it's unfortunate but it's what needs to be done right but you'll also see them making terrible food choices in terms of they'll have like cocoa pops and they'll have like uh, scones or something and it's like these are so calorie dense that's eating up one third of your intake in a less than satisfying way in terms of hunger so if you're coming to me and you're complaining about hunger and you're doing stuff like that then that's the first thing we drop out we're not changing calories we're not doing anything like that the first thing is we're eating a more appropriate diet and what i mean by that is the foods that you're selecting you know so you are going to feel all these negative adaptations most likely especially the leaner you get however that doesn't mean that it's a reason to fail your diet and what i mean by that is like you know these things are coming so the way you combat them is not to say oh it's going to get hard so i might as well not even try you know and that's the perspective that people who've tried dieting lots of times get into you know it is hard it is hard to sustain it you know the best way to sustain it is to set it up sustainably from the start right and the way you do that is like what we're saying eat mainly whole foods you know what that looks like it depends on your location what that looks like for you and eat enough calories so that you're still in a deficit but you're not so you're not in such a big deficit that hunger is inevitable because that's what generally what people will try to do they'll literally off the gates be in this 2000 calorie deficit (laughs) you know it's like well that's simply not sustainable yes that might lead to faster fat loss out the gates but it's that's simply the case you're just burning the candle faster so it's going to burn out quicker you know so set your diet up correctly look after all these variables sleep enough manage stress whatever way you can manage your your calories out perspective your your training your your non-exercise activity determinant like i just like steps it's really easy you know even obviously say ten thousand is a a good rule but i have people that are like five thousand that's what we get literally they're sedentary their their job is sedentary but our goal is always at least five thousand or seven thousand or whatever is appropriate for them to be actually able to get in like some clients i have they're on fifteen thousand because they just prefer eating more and have a lifestyle that allows them to get fifteen thousand steps per day you know um so again it depends on the individual depends on context depends on goals etc but once you look after all these variables like and realize that these negative adaptations that perhaps have caused you to fail your diet before are going to occur that like they, they they happen and if you set things up correctly from the start, you can minimize them, but they are still likely to happen. Like once you realize that, you can start coming up with a better management strategy, right? And what I mean by that is dealing with the, the more psychological side of things, right? And that's obviously, like that could be 40 podcasts on its own, you know, because people will come to, again, the dieting experience like a fat loss dieting experience with a ridiculous amount of history, relationship with food, you know, and that more than likely has to be dealt with before you're going to be able to effectively lose fat. You know, like if you're coming from this and you're, you're coming from an eating disorder, like what strategies are you putting in place so that we don't get into these disordered thought processes again? 
you know if you're coming from the to, coming to this experience from a place that you fail diet after diet after diet after diet it's like well, let's actually look at all these failed diets let's look at what caused you to fail is it you stress eat is it you know you have a poor relationship with food overall you get into these binge restrict cycles all the time you know like what like identify why you have failed diets previously that needs to be done before you engage in another one like because this is what you'll see people do they'll be like oh i'm on the atkins diet i'm on the paleo diet i'm on x y and z diet and they're just constantly hopping to diet to diet to diet to diet and first of all i'm not looking after all the stuff that we're saying that you should look after the, the calories in calories out perspective they're just eating different foods and hoping for a different outcome um but they'll also get results with each of these diets and then get to a point and fail and then go back to a different way of eating or try a different way of eating and gain weight and lose weight and gain weight and lose weight. But they never actually take that step back and go, why do I always fail the diet? Like what gets, where do I get to? What point do I get to? Because people will have a a certain body fat, a certain look or a certain point uh, and then start getting into negative adaptations and as a result fail the diet like maybe it's binge restrict cycles maybe it's something else but they'll get to a point and they'll start experiencing these things and they never take that step back to just go why is this happening like why is this happening first of all and then what can i do what processes or systems can i put in place to stop this happening for example you know maybe you do get down to 15 percent body fat and as a male you get down to 15% body fat and then you always seem to fuck it up. You always seem to be hungry all the time, be cranky and just say, fuck this YOLO. I'm just going to eat all the food again. Right. And you, you do this continuously, whatever diet styles you try, you always get really, really hungry at 15% and fucking YOLO the diet after that. So, you know, maybe a dieting strategy for you is to get down to 15% and then bring your calories to maintenance because what you're going to do now is when you're dieting you're going to have an eye to calories because that's what we're telling you to do you're going to have an eye to calories so you know where they are roughly and as a result you can then figure out where roughly maintenance calories are for you and you know maybe you do that at 16 percent body fat a little bit off where you usually fail you know and you bring calories up then so you're not as hungry you're not setting things up as so you're in such a big deficit because maybe before you've been dieting down from 25 percent to 15 percent and you normally do it in six weeks. You lose 10% body fat in six weeks. You're, you find that easy. It's too easy. But then week six hits and you're like, boom, okay. All of these negative dieting adaptations hit at once because you've been in such a big deficit. You know, So maybe now you try do it over, I don't know, 12 weeks. You know? So you take a slower approach. Maybe that's more appropriate. So you come up with strategies to start tackling the issues that have caused you to fail in the past. And once you start dealing with that, and like, again, like this, this could be really, really, really deep in terms of this could be you going to a psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever, and actually dealing with why you have a, a poor relationship with food. Like that very much could be the case, you know, like I've had clients that have needed to do that. And like, they've had like pretty big demons in, in the closet that have resulted in these poor relationships with food. And like, like obviously as, as a coach, like, yeah, I'm somewhat equipped to help them, but I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I can't help them deal with these, these emotions that they're having that they need to deal with before they can successfully diet. So that could be you. Like, I don't know your story. Gary doesn't know your story. 
only you know your story. So if you know that you fail your diet or that you have a really poor relationship with food because of X, Y, and Z events that happened in your childhood, your past, whatever, then, you know, you need to go to someone or do it yourself, but you need to deal with those issues before you can ever successfully diet. Like, yes, you will probably be able to successfully diet without dealing with them. But if you find that they are the things that cause you to then get into this cycle where you succeed, but then actually fail because you go back straight to where you were down the road and you're just constantly in this on off on off style of dieting then you know maybe you address those things and actually get them dealt with before you try to succeed with dieting for fat loss for a lifetime you know yeah and like that last sentence is important is because it is a lifetime thing as in like if you are someone who's overweight at the moment like the goal isn't to get lean and for three months time for your holiday it's actually to get leaner so that you can try and sustain that for the rest of your life so you have a lower risk of like cardiometabolic disease like that's fairly fairly sound and reasonable goal to have like you know so like that and that is what it's all about so if you have to take the time to learn food preparation skills to learn some of the skills of calorie tracking to go to a psychologist to address some issues or whatever you know like they're valuable investments of your time because it's a long-term thing it's not a short-term thing and one of the issues i have i the, one of the things that bugs me on social media, um, not not it's not just on social media because obviously people exist in real life, but <laughs> people that yeah I know believe it or not, <laughs> you know like the whole like diets don't work like that that's that's like a a movement now as in like there's lots of like doctors and and like medical students and dietitians that are just totally like anti diet like hard to the core and they're like if they heard this podcast like we would just be shot because we like you can't mention diet culture like that's the thing <laughs> <Come at us. laughs> but no like and like there's a lot of useful arguments in that space as we discussed before but like one of the perspectives is that that some people have is just that diets don't work so stop trying to diet which to me is like a bit ridiculous like imagine like imagine saying that about business like most businesses fail okay so don't bother trying to set one up just don't it doesn't work you know, like obviously there's, there are certain qualities and attributes that you, you can have at the start and or develop over time to make you better at this thing. That goes for training, that goes for fat loss, that goes for business, that goes for your, your academia, whatever. But like that's fairly obvious to me when you actually take a step back that you... Sorry, do you not understand? Most people die, so you might as well kill yourself. Ah, ah, yes. <laughs> like just why bother? Like... <laughs> Save yourself, oh, I bother you. <laughs> Save yourself all the time, all the hassle of life, and just kill yourself. Like that's what I think of when I think of these things. I'm like, like if you're telling someone, just don't even bother. Like, no, there's no chance. There's literally no chance. I'm like, this is literally just just apply that thought process to other aspects, like you're saying with business. But I'm like, just apply it to like the 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 biggest aspect you can think of, which is probably life. You know, it's like everyone's gonna die eventually. So just kill yourself. Like you're, you're just wasting your time. Like it's, it's irrelevant. You're, you're on the earth. You're going to have another, what, 50 years maybe of just oh, toil. Like you actually have to work while you're here. It's, it's useless. No, fuck it. Like don't even try. Just, just end it now. You know, I'm like this, this, this whole, uh, I suppose you'd call it nihilistic viewpoint. Just, it makes no sense. Again, like, uh, again, I mean, probably maybe an easier one for you to get than the, the, the kill yourself argument is like, yeah relationships like, no forget the relationships like all food ends up as like feces so 
why don't you just save a step? Just start eating shit. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, just like it's it's irrelevant. Like, it's it's going to be there anyway. So you don't need to eat tasty meals because it's just going to be shit anyway. You know, and um, you don't need to eat appropriate. It's it's going to be shit anyway. Like, it's irrelevant. Like, just just eat the shit. <laughs> If you're not robbed, like, you know, I would in the, in the correct circumstance, like, and if you need it to like, you know, grubs up, man. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, yeah, like that was, that was just a, a quick point to add is that like, just because you see certain statistics about rates of quote unquote diet failure or people not sustaining their weight loss, it doesn't mean that you have to put yourself in that box. Like, I just think that is just so unhelpful for the individual. Like it might just be that I have a faulty worldview and you have a faulty worldview, but personally I want individuals to feel like they're empowered to do whatever they want in life and that they just chase after it. Like, like that's, a, to me that sounds very, huh? 100% Gary. Yeah. Like, like that sounds reasonable to me, but these days it almost sounds like that is like a bigoted, like fascist statement or something. Like that is a bad thing. I shouldn't hold you that. You are a bigoted fascist. So that makes sense. <laughs> But yeah, like, well, yeah, it, it does come down to that point where it's like this, if you, it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you set yourself up for failure with the mindset of failure, like nine times out of 10, you're, you're going to fail. You know, you might get lucky one time out of 10 and succeed despite yourself. You know, that's a very real possibility. But if you put yourself in this category where it's like, this is just impossible, I might as well not even try. It's like, where does that lead to like where does that actually leave you as an individual and like this is not to have an argument and say that you know some individuals don't have it harder some individuals haven't been dealt shitter cards in life like that's like it's a very real possibility that that happened to you but at the end of the day it's like what can you actually do with that you can either go i am just road off now like i'm just there's me done I'm just going to wait for death to come and get me. Like that's, that's, that's the way you either approach it or you go, okay, I got this shit hand. I'm going to try and make the best of it as I can. Like I might still fail. I might still get shit results from this overall perspective, comparing myself to others. I might get absolutely awful response. I might get the worst. You might actually genuinely be the lowest responder ever noted to resistance training. You might build literally one gram of muscle you know you might try lose fat and literally lose one gram of fat and this calorie in calorie out perspective seems to just not work for you but at the end of the day it's like what what's what's the other alternative like in yeah. my mind, like you have two alternatives you either try you either identify why you failed in your trying and then try a smarter method and um, or you just give up. Like they're the only, the only two perspectives. And I'm like, if you want to give up, that's fine. I'm not here to hold your hand and carry you or whatever. But it's like that's that's for you to do for yourself. But like, if you want help or you want to keep trying, then in my mind, I'm like, that's that's a much better perspective to have. Would you agree? For sure. Like like most. As, as we've discussed before, most personal trainers don't last more than four years in the fitness industry. Does that mean you turn around and say, just don't bother trying to become a personal trainer? It doesn't work. It's like, no, like you're obviously not going to say that. And just like that, like everyone is dealt a different hand to some degree, but that doesn't necessarily, like 
you might have some good cards and some bad cards. Like if you're, for example, like one of the very real things in the, in the fitness industry is like, if you're, if you're very good looking, you're far more likely to do well in the fitness industry. I think that's a fair point. But that doesn't mean that you tell people who are not by your standards good looking that they just don't bother trying. Like that's not good either. So like, and like obviously genetic plays a massive, genetics plays a massive role, especially if you want to be like an, an online personal trainer. And if you're, if you're well-spoken, you know, that might help you as well. So there's all these different like traits that essentially like intersect to, to put you somewhere on the spectrum. But that doesn't mean that, that you just say that all oh, some people I, I just did. It's just unfair that they're not getting results. So they shouldn't try or something like that, that we just like remove the hierarchy. So like that, that's ultimately what it's all about is about, look, you, all you have control over is, is you like your actions, your behaviors every day. And that includes like fat loss. And granted there are, there are very real barriers, like people, like people who, who are genuinely living in like poverty and they're very little control over the food, the foods that they buy. Like I don't expect you to go and buy like the, organic uh veg that your instagram people are telling you to buy you know like so there are there are differences for sure but ultimately we believe in empowering individuals primarily through giving you the resources through education and after that like you know just gotta, gotta put in the work i suppose yeah like it is it is definitely like gonna be hard it's gonna be hard for most people like some people do find it effortless again that is the the continuum that we have and um, but for you as an individual Hopefully, you've taken something from this overall episode and realized that these adaptations, these hormones, these everything, all play into this calories in, calories out perspective. And at the very end of the day, all you have control over is your calories in, your calories out. You don't actually don't even have as much control over your calories out. You do to some extent, but you have control over your calories in to some extent. And the rest of the stuff you need to worry about is how to make that calories in, calories out perspective work for you, given your psychology, your physiology, whatever. Like if you are someone that gets mad cravings and you know that, then you are going to have to set up your diet in a way that allows you to combat that multitude of ways if you are no, if you know you are someone that can lose fat really fast but then hit a barrier then set up your diet appropriately so that you lose fat a little bit slower and hopefully don't hit that barrier and then get into these binge restrict cycles whatever it is you have to take you as an individual into context or into the overall perspective and then make yourself or rather, allow yourself to find a method that allows you to control calories in and calories out. It is literally that simple. It is literally that hard at the same time. Yeah, yeah. it's a simple process, but not necessarily easy. And I suppose like there are other discussions to add on to what we have discussed here. Like This doesn't cover everything, but we do have a lot of podcasts in this stuff like two two of the the simplest ones that probably tie quite nicely to this are episode 59 well kind of it's kind of relevant that's where i discussed that was a solo episode about like health kind of like broader considerations for health so like if you're thinking about this stuff and you're like oh my god i can't be in control of my health until i'm in control of my diet go and listen to that it might change your perspective it might be helpful for you because again like 
having things like a social support network and all that, uh, a meaningful job like that, that actually might make dieting easier for you. So like, it's important to understand that stuff. Episode 58 as well, we discussed aggressive dieting. So that might give you some context on like when it might be a bit more appropriate to be a bit more aggressive in terms of like having a large calorie deficit. But we also discussed a lot of good stuff in that, in that podcast in terms of like how to set yourself up for a successful diet. So there's, there's useful stuff there and, and lots of other things on the podcast as well. But, but yeah, um, also, check those out. This is Monday. So today, today so the militia is also no longer the militia. And it is yeah. yep. free. We just have loads of free content on our website now. So go and check that out. You'll be able to, like Mr. Patrick Crowell does the nutrition side of things. So he's written lots of articles that essentially take you through literally step by step by step by step how to set up your diet, when to change it, how to set up calories, how to set up macronutrients, why you're doing all those things. Loads of the nuances that you can't really get through on the podcast. So definitely check that stuff out. And also today we just released our beginner's ebook. So if you're at the end of this podcast and you're like, oh my God, I don't know where to start. Those militia articles or triage articles, they're too much for me. I'm not a, I'm not a, I was going to say I'm not a reader, but you have to be a reader for this anyway. But basically we have a beginner's ebook. So we just released that today and that essentially takes you through the basic steps, theory and practice of setting up your training and your nutrition. Okay. That includes, you know, different tiers from the nutrition perspective, how to, how to get started, what to do if you're a bit more advanced and when you want to find, fine tune things a bit more from the training perspective, you'll understand all the training variables and principles that are relevant. You know, you'll actually understand the why behind training, which is important. And then you'll also have sample programming considerations if you don't have certain gym equipment, etc. So we're definitely proud of that. And I think you guys will get a lot of value out of that. So check that as well, which will probably potentially be linked in below, maybe, Patty. No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, it'll be linked. It's only on our website anyway. And if you follow us, you will see it. So just buy the book, man. <laughs> there is that. Right. Is there anything else you have left to add, Gary? Because I'm actually starving. Yeah, I'm starving as well. Like, it's I guess just that it's it's too easy. Like, and and seriously, do take that on board. Take that mindset on board. If you are approaching this stuff, take the too easy mindset on board, and don't don't feel like oh this is going to be so hard. You approach it and you say it's going to be too easy, and life will be better. Do you are you that your uh, clinical psychological view? That is that's as much as you need. I think. Yeah. It's advanced psychiatry. Oh, interesting. <laughs> do you have a degree in that, do you? <laughs> More continuing education, is it? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a psychiatrist and just... And what would actually be the horniest thing ever? Like, <laughs> if you did physiotherapy, medicine, and psychiatry or psychology i never know really the difference to be honest psychiatrist psychiatrist is where you're a doctor but we, so you actually can give medicine like, you know you what, know what do you do good like you'll talk to people yeah like i just be talking to people and i just be like here like it's like it's too easy isn't it i think that's all you do and then you just give them a lot of drugs as well yeah and tell them to train obviously oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah. makes sense anyway guys wrapping this up <laughs> nothing else uh, we're just talking shit <laughs> good luck um, yeah everything is linked below i hope 
hope future me does this correctly. Um, but yeah, join the newsletter. That's probably the easiest way to keep up to date with everything. You can follow us all on social media or whatever else, but you know yourself, those Facebook algorithms, those Instagram algorithms, you might miss some content. It might be the content that you desperately need to read. Um, and you're going to find it all on the newsletter. So you can find all the past newsletters. Well, for the last while on our website as well. Um, yeah. but obviously if you want to keep up to date and obviously you do, um, the best place to do so is on the newsletter. Gary likes to collate a lot of resources every week as well and help you live a better life. He's really interested in that. I don't really know why, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so join the newsletter. Ebook is released. The militia is no more. Loads of free articles. So go to our website. Do whatever. Read away. There's there's loads of articles going more in depth on this exact same topic that we're talking about on the website. So search them up. I have nothing else to add, Gary. Do you? Peace out, bro.